BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. latest episode of the five reasons podcast i'm ethan skolnick here as always with chris winningham now that you found us make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider that way you'll get all of our old episodes as well as all of our new episodes as soon as they post Uh, one thing to look for on our feed this week is that i'll be heading to nba all-star weekend i'll be meeting a couple of my colleagues from miami heat beat greg sylvander you know him as lefty leif and also, Nikias Duncan, who wrote a great piece about the Heat that aired on HeatBeatMiami.com yesterday. So the three of us will be up there. Actually, we have more people going from our outlet than all of the other outlets in South Florida combined. But somebody who will be going is Shandell Richardson from The Athletic. He never misses an all-star game, mostly because uh, of the night activities. Uh, but he's, he's now a colleague of our next guest, Andre Fernandez. You probably remember him over the past couple of decades with the Miami Herald, he left for the Athletic. Uh, what is it about a month ago now, Andre? That you've been at the Athletic, maybe a little bit longer. No, no, since uh, since last summer, since since no, uh, actually since Labor Day. Labor Day, I picked oh, it up there. My God, man! These Ethan, these are your friends. You're not tracking the progress of your boy Andre Fernandez. Come on. Well, no, it's it's Start just. Flies. I mean, when you're churning out three podcasts a week, you just, you know, when you're trying to get John Carlin Navis to do something, it's, it's time, time goes very quickly. So, yes, Andre's been there now for, I guess, yeah. five or six months uh, with Athletic Miami. Yeah. You can follow him at Fernandez Andre on Twitter. Um, and we're going to talk Marlins today. We have not done this for a very long time. We, we had, uh, we did an episode that actually Chris missed, which was about, uh, you know, the Marlins marketing strategy. And actually, Andre was a part of that. We had our guys from Sick Arizonas and also Alphonse Sidney from Light Skinned Opinions and Miami Heat Beat joined us for that one. Uh, but we haven't really talked baseball, just pure baseball in a while. And today, Derek Jeter spoke to the media. We've got pitchers and catchers reporting on Wednesday. Full squad workout, a first official full squad workout is next Monday. I'll be heading up with a cast of thousands later in the month. Uh, so we wanted to get Andre on just to talk Marlins and sort of where they are in their process. So let's start with Jeter today, Andre. What struck you about what he said? Well, aside from the fact that there you had drills and jackhammers going on in the background with uh, with the construction going on in Marlins Park, uh, when I could hear his voice sometimes, um, <laughs> he still sounds you know like a guy who's hopeful that this process is working, let's say, but obviously someone that wishes it was further along than it is. But the reality is you trade the guys that they've traded and you're, you're banking a lot of it on the development staff there, the Marlins turning these assets into 
you know, productive players, you know, successful players in the future. And right now, to me, there's still a wide range of where this could go. You know, there's a lot of guys that have upside, but there's a lot of guys that still have a lot of question marks. And some of them, it's maybe an injury case, like, you know, the Sixto Sanchez pitcher that they just picked up from the Phillies for Real Muto. Guy has been compared to Luis Severino, even Pedro Martinez by some scouts. But he had an elbow problem last year. Kid throws over 100, can throw over 100 miles an hour. I mean, you see pitchers that can throw that hard. You know, sometimes it's risky. You know, they, they, you know they're prone to potential injuries there. So using just him as one example, there's a lot of guys that we still don't know how good they're going to turn out. All, of course, they're going to jeer and everybody else in the front office is going to give you the optimistic view and they're going to say, you know, we're, we're, we're taking steps in the right direction, et cetera. And that's fine, but it remains to be seen. We're still only in year two, and I think there's a lot of growing pain still on this team, but it's going to be a critical year to kind of see where a lot of guys are at, to see if the pro- if they are making progress. You know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about more specifically soon, but to give you examples like the Lewis Brinsons, who had a bad year last year as a rookie, can he, you know, flip things around this year and start to progress, start to show some of the hope that some of the talent that they felt like they got, um, you know, Sandy Alcantara on the mound, you know, has a lot of potential, but, you know, he's had some command issues, walked a lot of guys. We're going to start to see if these guys, I mean, it could be a lot like after they dismantled the 97 team back in the day where you started to see the foundation of what came later, you know, or you, you if, if things don't happen that way and guys regress, then it, then you can kind of start to say, okay, this is a little bit worrisome because by now they should be a little further along than they are. Now, the headline today that, that most seemed to have picked up on was the zero patience line, uh, which was, I have no patience, I have zero patience, I've been preaching it, I don't have it. Uh, so do you think right. there do you think there's at any point uh, where the Marlins deviate from this plan because to me I'm looking at their salary sheet and I actually think it'll probably end up looking worse uh, from from that standpoint because they're probably gonna they're probably gonna you know they, they want to get rid of Starlin Castro they would like to get rid of Wei Chen yeah. even though they they probably won't uh, they they want they'll probably right. try and offload Martin Prado as well I mean that that might take their salary down to. $35 million? I mean, it, it can get a lot lower. So, I mean, beyond uh, ignoring, which is certainly one way that Marlins fans have dealt with the Marlins over a long time, uh, what do you think the fans are, are going to be latching onto this year? And do you think they'll have that patience? Well, that's the, and that, that's really the part that remains to be seen because you're right. He, I don't. I, I think his patience may be wearing thin a little bit in, in in those terms. But like you said, there's there's about 46 million, I think, between three players. The ones you said, Chen, Starling, and, and Prado. And we know Prado's in his last year, so is, so is Starlin, but Chen still has two more, and he's obviously the most expensive one. You know, Starlin could be an attractive piece they could trade during the season if he has a good first half, maybe by the trade deadline. And his money will be a little, he'll be a little cheaper by half, by the midway point of the season, too. The other two, barring something really drastic, they're not that attractive to other teams because Chen has only been good at Marlins Park. You know, you take him out of there, then what is he? The, is he the road pitcher that's that's atrocious when he when he pitches outside of Miami? Pro, for all we know, it could be. And then with Prado, we know the quality guy that he is. We know he's a decent bat still at, at his age, but he can't stay on the field. He's been on the DL more than he's been on the field the last two years. So that's the problem there. So, you know, in terms of money, it was expected to be maybe around 100 mil, the payroll. Then or people, then some reports said maybe 80. You know, it could, it, it probably will shrink before it grows in terms of at the end, by the end of this season, maybe going into next season. There's other factors too. They're, they're waiting on potentially a new TV deal come 2020. They're looking for naming rights down the road on the stadium, stuff that's going to generate more revenue. They've invested a lot in Marlins Park this year. There's going to be all sorts of 
you know, new new items, you know, the standing room only sections, you name it. So a lot of things that in theory will generate more, even if the attendance doesn't pick up by that much, which it probably won't. Um, so, you know, so the, the telling part is going to be when they get to that point, do they start adding pieces through free agency, significant pieces that can complement maybe some of the guys that do pan out in terms of the young players that they're acquiring through the draft and through the trades that they just made. Andre, we talk a lot about Jeter because he's Jeter. And, it, you know, it's the easy face to go to. I, I don't feel like we talk about Bruce Sherman enough. Uh, like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. all about, it's all about Jeter, and he's got this tiny piece uh, of what they're doing. Yeah. It's not as tiny as, like, what Serena and Venus had of the Dolphins, but it, it's, not, it's not huge. Um, and I know he's drawing a salary. He's been much more, I, I would say, active and visible than, than even I expected. Um, I mean, he, he's been out there. He's been in the community. I mean, he's made himself a part of this community, which I will I give him credit for because a lot of the guys who've come down here who've been successful, particularly guys who've been successful, like in places like New York, like a Bill Parcells, like they just didn't care. They, did, they didn't go out in the community. I mean, Jeter to me has been following more of the Riley model, uh, I think, than anybody else other than the guy that, that Chris is going to be covering, which is Beckham. I, I think there are some similarities there, but but we don't talk much about yeah. Bruce Sherman. Like, uh, w- what do you think he's committed to spend long-term, what kind of money and resources does he have? Because I feel like if they don't end up spending, then everybody's just going to blame Jeter for it. And and he's not really the one holding the purse strings. Right. And that's true. And that's definitely on point. I mean, he, the thing with, the thing with Sherman is he just hasn't really, it almost seems a little like, not rec, I don't want to say reclusive because he's at the ballpark, but we, we just really haven't really gotten to know him much. Like he's, he's spoken briefly at certain events here and there, you know, every once in a while but i feel like we don't know enough about him yet and yeah he has uh, i don't know how deep pockets but he does have deep pockets to, to spend probably and, and he's in the in the beginning when he bought the team he made it sound like this was an investment he wanted to to make not just for himself but for his family something like the marlins can be you know something that his family can you know could not not just own the team but take pride in and invest in for years to come so if that's to be believed it would be a positive thing because you would you would expect that he'd care to make this a winning franchise. He always strikes me as a as a big baseball fan too. Like he's always talking about it when you when, even like when we're not interviewing him, we're just maybe having a quick chat the few times that we had. Like he seems like someone that's really been a baseball fan too for a long time. So in that sense, it would be encouraging to believe that, considering the past of this team and, and previous you know groups and, and that have owned it and, and things like uh, to that nature. But I think it's still too early to tell. I mean, that's that's sort of something that hopefully. He lends himself to kind of be, you know, to get to know him a little bit more this season and in years to come. But funny you mentioned Jeter about being visible. He said another thing he said today was this year he plans to be around the clubhouse more. He plans to be even more visible even to his own team and to his own uh, roster than he was last year. I I wanted to ask you about, in general, this idea. So now the Marlins' full teardown is complete. They've traded away most every valuable player, uh, major league player that they had to try and reset this roster. So I, 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 so I think there's, I think this is a fascinating idea and really the first time we've really seen it implemented on a long-term basis in South Florida. So I guess my first question is like independent of who they've gotten and what do they have? Do you think that this is a good strategy and one that fans should be on board with? I mean, it's a strategy you see more and more nowadays in baseball when, when you're a team that doesn't, you know, that isn't putting, that doesn't putting together the payroll, let's say, of, of the upper echelon in baseball, like, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and that sort of thing. You, you start to see this type of formula. And if, if executed correctly, 
it can work. I mean, that's how the Cubs started to build. That's how the Astros definitely started to build in recent years to the championship team that they became. The Braves are getting there now. They, they took the big, first big step this past season. But the one critique has been, did they get enough for all these players? And that really, right now, it doesn't look as good for them because none of the guys that they that they received in return have really done anything yet. You know, Sandy Alcantara, uh, you know, Jorge Guzman, you know, guys, guys that came in, they're all unknowns unless you're like hardcore baseball fans that know, you know, and, and it's all just guys that you read scouting reports about and say, oh, this guy can throw 100. They've only, for the, for the most part, they've only done it in the minors. The only piece of this, of all these big trades that had that has major, major league experience is Starlin Castro. And he's a guy that may not even be here the, the entire season because it may be more worth it to them to trade him for more, you know, another prospect, international money, whatever. So it, it's, it's at a point right now where it's very easy to look at and say, you know, they, they blew these trades. They didn't get enough because their farm system, yes, it's better, but it's not top 10 in baseball right now. It's not. They haven't landed, you know, the obvious Ronald Acuna type player that you look at and say, wow, I know that guy's going to be there when they get when at the point when they're the window for serious contention starts. They have a lot of guys that could get there, but we don't know yet. And I think that's where this year starts to kind of tell a little bit more, both at the major league level and the minor league level as to what they really got in return. You can't put it as, is it better than Stanton? Is it better than Yelich? Those guys, what they're doing right now, they're both MVPs. You know, they traded five All-Stars. It's not a fair scale to compare. It's obviously lopsided in the other team's favor. So I think you have to look at it as what can these guys, are these guys, how many of these guys are going to end up being the fundamental pieces of a future contending team? And that's why it looks a lot like it did maybe, you know, after the initial teardown before they built the team in 03. We're sort of at the baby step stages of this. And in the next year or two is when you're going to get closer to it. Yeah, and that's the point that I wanted to make too because I was a little bit surprised when you went through some of the top 100 lists, whether it was Baseball America or some of the others, and you couldn't find a Marlin prospect on there. Uh, I mean, I guess Victor Victor Mesa was, what, 99th on one of them? Um, one of the other... like, yeah, well, now, now, now he's rated 60th by some, but even 60, you're still not in the top 50 or, you know. Right. Well, well, that means, I mean, if you've got 30 franchises, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, he's not considered, the Marlins don't have anybody who's considered to be what would be a top two uh, you know, prospect, I, I guess, if you just went around the league in, in terms of, you know, what right. should be one of your top two prospects. It's kind of what I say about the Heat all the time. It's like, okay, I like Justice Winslow. How many teams in the league would he be the best player on? <laughs> you know, and, right. you know, you, you get, or Josh well, Richardson or Goran Dragic, right. and, and you're pretty much going to get to, to well, none. Um, and, and so, or maybe, maybe a couple. So I, I guess that's my concern about this is, they got sort of one bite at the apple here, or I should say five bites, right? I mean, because I mean, we right. talk about the three outfielders, Real yeah. Muto, well, and Stanton. Jordan. Yeah, well, well Stan, Stanton was kind of a the, to right. get out of that enormous contract. So that one, oh, at okay. least, I can I can almost give him a pass for that one, but the rest of them. Yeah, the yeah the other four, and look, yeah. and and Gordon, I, I understood to some degree, but I mean, Yelich. I yeah. mean, it seems to me like they gave away Yelich because he wasn't a good clubhouse guy. I mean, I, you know, Mish has, you know, tried to give Michael Hill the out on that when he had him on, on the podcast. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you, you didn't have to be around the Marlins to know that Christian Yelich wasn't happy mm -hmm. and probably might poison right. the other guys in the room. But you also didn't, didn't have to be a, a, a baseball scout to know that this was a five-tool player who was on the verge of breaking out. So I, right. I just... Right. I, I guess my frustration with it is not the strategy. Um, I, I don't have a problem with the strategy. If, if you weren't 
if you weren't winning with what you had, if you didn't have the payroll to add, you know, two, they needed more than two. They need they needed three or four, you know, a level yeah. arms basically. So I, I I I totally get that. But my concern is that uh, particularly the four. I mean, and it looks like they might have done better for Stanton than we thought. But the the other four, you know. You you have to get a couple of elite guys there, and you know maybe it's maybe yep. you know maybe it's Monte Harrison, maybe it's uh, I mean maybe Brinson has a better year, but I, I guess that would be my issue with it. If you're gonna go full tank and dump not not like you know Mar- Martin Prados, okay, but like right. an MVP yeah. caliber that's players, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, you're right. Well, that, well, yeah. Right. That's, that's where, my concern. That's where I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I don't have a problem with the strategy itself. It's the execution of it, and that's where I think right now it doesn't look good for them as as, as up to this point because of that. Because there's there's not there is there talent? Yes, but is but is it talent that convinces you they're not there? They, it's it's talent that you have to wait and see if it even gets close to that. And and like you said, to me the, the probably the better of, the, of all of them might have been this most recent one assuming that the kids that that Sixto Sanchez pans out and doesn't you know and he's not hurt all the time that to me was the best one because and not, and not only him but if if Jorge Alfaro has question marks you know his mechanics aren't great he strikes out a lot but if they fix him he's still young enough where it, that he could fix that and he's got and they've got several years where he can be under contract that's a perfect bridge till the only other catching prospect they have comes along or maybe another guy they draft or you know whatever it gives them some options, but before that, these trades in between, it's all predicated on can we turn these guys into something good? And then you know you don't know if they're going to be even half of what some of these guys that they gave away are going to be, or, or or even close. It's a lot of wait and see and a lot of you know speculation. We'll get back to today's episode of the Five Reasons Podcast in a second, but first, I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that is Dural Toyota. Throughout Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Dural Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. I've been there before. It is a fantastic location. Experience the Dural difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Dural Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Dural Toyota, DuralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Dural Toyota. So you look at so I think the Houston Astros are uh, an, another team that uh, and, and you mentioned them earlier as the tanking team that ended up uh, working out. They had three seasons of 100 losses or more, 106, 107, and 111. Then a fourth season under 500 before making the playoffs in their fifth season and winning the World Series in their seventh season of their full scale build. So. I, I guess I guess my question would be, do you think if, if presuming this has a pattern of success at any point, do you think it'll be similar three, four years of under 500 and, and you know, at, at times losing 100 games level baseball? And if so, I mean, this this market already is not particularly behind its baseball team. Do you think yeah. that that the Marlins can survive as a business? Can generate enough of a TV deal? Can lay enough infrastructure so that if and when they do get good, they're an economically viable franchise? Well, that's that, and that, that's the big challenge right there. That's, it's a pretty hard. It's a definitely a, a very hard ask of the community here to you know to if you're really a, if you truly are a Marlins fan to endure that after years. Some are probably just used to it at this point, but others are tired of it. 
and they don't want to see that anymore. Look, are they saying all the right things? Are they trying a lot of efforts off the field? Great. But the baseball product is what ultimately is what matters. And like you said, I mean, yeah, I could, it could definitely be that. I mean, this season definitely looks like it's headed to a similar outcome to last year. In fact, without JT Realmuto, they're depending on, let's say, a Brian Anderson not having a regression. They're, they're depending on him to be pretty much at least the same player he was last year. They're depending on Brinson to get better. They're depending on... This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sandy to get better. Pablo Lopez, the, uh, you know, Trevor Richards, the arms that they have in their rotation. Their bullpen has to get better than the nightmare that it was in the second half. You know, a lot of things start have to improve because if it doesn't, there's no, there's not. A, they brought in a couple of veterans, you know, and that's nice. You know, it, it's great to have good clubhouse guys like Curtis Granderson, Neil Walker in your clubhouse for the, you know, the intangibles and all that. But they're not going to light the world on fire on the field that you would you would think to the point where you, where they're going to carry a team. And you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is you you gave away a lot of big bats, even guys that were here last year, where if injuries surface or some of these guys, you know, don't play, don't play well, the record could look even worse than 63 and 98. And that doesn't mean necessarily that the, the, the on the, in the grand scheme of things, the plan isn't progressing, you know, it, it trending in the right direction, you know, in terms of development, but it could get worse before it gets better in terms of the short term on the field right now. And then, like I said, that, that has an effect obviously on, on attendance and several other things. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see how much they can, they, they can move along, you know, in spite of that for the next couple of years, because to me, to me at 2021, 2022, that's when, if everything continues to progress, that's when I could see it happening because a lot of the guys that they've brought in in the last couple of years, you still need to go through the process in the minors. Then they have to get to the majors and it's not just getting to the majors. It's getting, it's, it's getting playing time. It's adjusting. There's a, there, there's a lot of levels to this. Yeah, and that's what we saw with Lewis Brinson last year, which is, I mean, he got right. the opportunity in the first half of the season, and 
it was too much for him. And, and, you know, we see a lot of guys that happens in the first year. I mean, that's pretty common. Look at a rod's yeah. numbers his first year in the major leagues. I mean, it's right. You know, I mean, it, it, there's an adjustment period. And so this is going to be a long, long, long process. Again, doesn't mean that I disagree with the process, but I mean, they're, they're in this for the next, you know, three to four years. Let's go around the diamond a little bit, just see where they are at each position uh, coming into spring training. So Riamuto's gone. Uh, what's what's it going to look like at catcher? I mean, Jorge Alfaro is the man for them, uh, you know, right now. I mean, they bring they bring this kid in. Like I said before, they have five years of team control with him. So the upside is he's got one of the best arms behind the plate in baseball. Last year, like, it, like his pop time the second, where you, you measure, you know, how, how fast he can get guys out, was comparable to JT. JT was, I believe, like 1.90 seconds, and Alfaro, you're talking like 194. It's very close. It was ranked among the top catchers in the league. Mechanically, though, his defense needs some work. He's still kind of raw there. He makes makes some. He made some errors. I think he made like eleven errors behind the plate, which sounds like a lot, but it, it was uh, not great. So you're looking at a guy who you hope doesn't turn into, let's say, if he's an example like a Gary Sanchez, where he has the big power bat, but he's terrible defensively behind the plate. You hope that he fine tunes both areas and he strikes out a lot, or he did last year, but. This kid has only really had like one full season in the majors. So similar to Brinson, you know, this is a telling year. Can he make adjustments? Can their, their coaches do that? So behind the plate, I'd say he's the starter. Backups, I mean, Chad Wallach's there, but they, but he wasn't very good last year. He's the only guy on the 40, man. But I, I could see them. I could see Brian Holiday, who's, who's brought back as, an, as a non-roster invitee, becoming the backup catcher. He did a pretty decent – he didn't hit a lot, but he did a pretty decent job defensively for them last year. All right, let's look at the infield then. And, and, you know, again, I know some of this is dependent on a couple of guys who could get traded. But, I mean, assuming Starlin Castro is going to be at second and probably hitting somewhere in the middle of the order, which, you know, again, on, on a good team, he's, he's a seventh, you know, place hitter probably. But right. on this team, he's going to be middle of the order. Uh, what do they look yeah. like at the four spots? I mean, first base, I mean, they brought in Neil Walker, who can pretty much play most of, the, most of the spots in the infield except shortstop. But it sounds like they're going to use him at first, and then they're going to give Peter O'Brien a chance. You know, O'Brien, again, you know, guy that really hasn't been able to, to stick it in the majors for about seven years now. But last, last year, the Marlins get him in the get him into their minor league system midway through the year, and he has a great so he has a pretty good September. Gives him some hope. Uh, he's a power bat. They're thinking probably a, a, potentially a platoon there at first base. You know, going into the season, let's see how let's see how that works out. Second base for now is Starlin's job until they until they were to move him or if he rides out the year and and, and they let him go after that because they're waiting on Isan Diaz, one of the guys that they got in the Yelich trade. To emerge he's already made it up to the triple a level i don't think he starts the season in the majors i think they give him a little more time in triple a to keep working on things and then maybe he's a call up midway through the season if he's ready and then at that point that gives him an option if they want to trade castro <clears throat> then you go to shortstop and it's between jt riddle and miguel rojas uh, i'm not sure how they're committed to having one guy full time there yet I guess it's going to depend on what they see in the spring, but both guys could play the position if need be. And then at third, the interesting thing that came out of FanFest was that they want to move Brian Anderson back there and have Prado sort of more in a, in a utility role, assuming he's healthy. So that's going to be interesting to see because we saw uh, Anderson hit really well last year for a rookie. He was pretty durable, but I think defensively he made a lot. Of, he, he made some errors at third base. wasn't ex, wasn't as sharp as he was in the outfield. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Do they stick to that plan? Leave him there? Or do they move him to right field where he was last year? Especially because in the outfield, in the short term, they don't have a lot of quality options. So to me, it was kind of surprising that they wouldn't want to have him there for now. But 
they envision him as a third baseman long term, and I think they want to commit to that early. So who's the? Uh, so you mentioned who's the second baseman long term. Who's the shortstop long term in the system? In the system now, well, there's several guys, but I think the guy that's most interesting to watch, and 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 the thing is, he's still there's two guys actually, and they're still pretty far away in terms of development. But Osiris uh, Johnson, who uh, is, is uh, the cousin of Jimmy Rollins, the one that they drafted last year. He's shown a lot of a lot of potential, like having the tools to, to play not to play the position. Strong defender, you know, his back could come along. The other kid I like a lot is Jose Devers. I think he's the one. He came over in in the Stanton deal, and he's got the thing with him is like he's he's very skinny right now. I think his body needs to continue to develop. He's still really young. You know, he'll get a taste probably of you know playing a Jupiter. If he, if he progresses, maybe even they'll give him a shot at Jacksonville by the end of the season, which is, you know, a double A. But he's still a couple of years away. Those are the two guys I think they're banking on the most, unless Riddle really blows them away this season. But I think it's more more likely you'll see those two that I mentioned before eventually getting that spot. All right, and let's, the final thing, and then I'll let Chris get to some of the pitchers here. Uh, the outfield, um, it's not Stanton, Ozuna, and Yelich anymore. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned Anderson's going to be at third. Prado's going to be a utility guy. They bring in Granderson. I don't know what Curtis has left. I mean, he's, he's always been one of my favorite guys to watch, actually, and I know he's a really good clubhouse guy, but is he going to get a starting spot out there? And, and I get, is Brinson guaranteed a starting spot after what happened last year? I don't, I don't think he's guaranteed a starting spot, but I think he's the closest thing you can say to the guaranteed starter in the, in, in the outfield right now. You know, barring, barring a catastrophe in spring training, I think he's got it going in, and then it's going to be up to him to keep the spot, depending if he if he hits better all the way around and even plays defensively better than he did last year. But I think, I think Granderson will end up being the left fielder. And I think it's because of the lack of short-term options right now. Not to say Granderson can't give him anything at all. I mean, I think he, he as a, he, he's not an everyday outfielder anymore, ideally, but he still can come in off the bench and still can make a few spot, a few starts here and there. You know, he did it last year for the Brewers played in over a hundred games still. I mean, I think he starts the year there and then if they get, if, if they see progress from some of their prospects, maybe they make a switch of some sort. I think a part of it too is because they were very dis- they were disappointed with the way Magnera Sierra turned out last year in his in his first major league action. I mean, the kid didn't hit the ball at all. He wasn't getting on base. You know, blazing speed if he can actually get on base. But I think they they decided that he needs a lot of work still to to improve that. And I think for now, Granderson ends up in left, Brinson in center. If they're not going to go with Anderson in right field, then that's another spot where there's a few guys competing for it. Maybe you see, maybe you see Granderson in right and they put Austin Dean in left for the time being, you know, maybe this kid, uh, there's another one, Rosell Herrera that they, they claimed off waivers from the Royals, you know, decent guy looks like almost like a, like a productive utility type that they could put there for now until other guys, you know, come along and get better. But yeah, I mean, the outfield looks like it's so barren right now that I'm surprised that they would, they would, already say Anderson is a third. All right, so run through for uh, run through for us 1 through 5 the starting rotation on opening day. Well, I think they're going to they're going to err on the side of experience to start the year and that's mainly putting, you know, opening day starter will probably again come down to either Arena or Dan Straley just because they're the most experienced guys. Um, you know, with Arena their hope is they haven't seen a, a, a good full year from him. They saw a great September, but a lot of inconsistency before that. Maybe this is the year that he finally figures it out. They, they, they're hoping that. Straley's a veteran that, you know, he's dependable. Is he, is he, a, is he close to being a, a top-end guy? Probably not, but he's a four or five that for now on this team, you could put as a steady guy in there. Chen will be somewhere in that two or three mix, you know, for the time being. You know, you wish you could only pitch him at Marlins Park, but they're going to have to, I, I guess, unless they figure something out. And then from there, 
Sandy Alcantara, this is going to be the first chance to, to pitch for a full season. And the other one, only because he doesn't have injury issues coming off last season, is Trevor Richards. I mean, this kid has a nasty changeup that if the other pitchers come along, he had a, he had a decent start last year, got, got about, got, I don't remember the exact number, but it was 20, 25 starts. So he's another one that has a full season of experience. So to me, that's the starting five. But Pablo Lopez and Caleb Smith are going to be very close. You know, they both have some injuries they were recovering from. They're fully healthy now, it sounds like. But maybe maybe the Marlins ease them into that role just to see you know, where they're at by, you know, by late March or April, but I could see them getting in the rotation later on. So in terms of the bullpen, uh, where, where do you think uh, they go for closer? I mean, not that that particularly matters when you're going to win the amount of games the Marlins are going to win, but uh, do you think there'll be some arms that emerge out of this bullpen? Well, funny you say that though, because they probably could have had somewhere between eight to 10 more wins last year had they not kept blowing games left and right after, especially after Barraclaw started pitching worse. So, I mean, you would like to see improvement there, uh, no doubt, since they have some some players that you could see them keeping for for years to come, like a Drew Steckenrider. Adam Conley, to me, found found a good role for him. You know, as a starter, he was very inconsistent. As a as maybe like a like a seventh or eighth inning setup guy, I think he's got a good role on this team. Aaron Guerrero is the other one that can throw over a hundred, but his control needs to improve if they're going to put him in a high leverage role the way they hope they can. Maybe also in that seventh eighth inning sort of thing. My favorite is Steckenrider. I think. He's going to end up being the guy that they tap as the closer when it's all said and done going into the season. And I think with those three, if they're consistent, it's not that bad when they, like you said, when they actually have opportunities to nail down a lead late in the game. I think it's, it's a decent combo with the Wolves. Hope that they hope to see more progression from. Beyond that, kind of, uh, there's a few arms in there that they may throw in as middle relievers. There's also some guys that, like, like the ones I said before, Smith and Lopez, if they're not in the rotation, you could see them maybe in some sort of long relief roles for, you know, for the time being until spots open up. We'll get back to the episode here in a second, but want to tell you about something that's going on in the five reasons sports network this week. It is Dwayne Wade's last all-star game. We're excited about this in his 16th season. We're making it a Wade weekend. So it wasn't enough to just cover with one person up in Charlotte and send my butt up there, but we're also going to have Nikias Duncan. You know him as at Nikias NBA. He's our premier NBA analyst on the network. And also Lefty Leif. That's Greg Sylvander. You can follow him on Twitter too, at Lefty underscore L-E-I-F. So the three of us are going to be up there for all of All-Star Weekend from Thursday night through Monday. Here's how you follow us. We're going to do a podcast on the Five Reasons flagship feed and also on Miami Heat Beat. So type Miami Heat Beat into your favorite podcast provider. We're also going to provide some interviews with other NBA analysts, media people, former players, current players, anybody we can find up there in Charlotte. And also check out our Instagram feeds because that's where you can find all of the video that we'll be posting. Everything Dwayne does, we will be covering it. So follow us at five reason sports that's the number five reason sports and also at mia heat beat and also the same handles on twitter and uh one more from me uh, i i just wanted to ask your let's say let's call it two guys that will be coming up mid-season from the minor leagues that you're most looking forward to seeing well i'm, I'm curious about isan diaz because a lot's been in, internally within the organization they like him a lot you know Externally, not a lot expected because he's one of the guys that they think uh, wasn't enough value to get back for Yelich. But what? But but this guy, I think, is very close to potentially being their starting second baseman. So he's another one that that's had a lot of uh, high swing and miss rate in the past. Which, if you know, let's see how he does when he finally gets to the majors. 
every time he's elevated a level, he's had a little bit of trouble adjusting, but he has been able to adjust. So if I, if I'm if if I ideally to me, you need to get this guy in the majors this year. It's obviously another throwaway year in terms of wins and losses. Let him take his first hacks this year and work that out of his system, and then have him ready to go as your starting opening day guy next year. So that's one for sure. Another one. I know a lot of people talk about Victor Victor Mesa, but I, I think he still needs maybe a full year in the minors before he gets to that point just to get adjusted to, you know, baseball, you know, minor league baseball. And he hasn't played in a while. Organized baseball he hasn't played in a while, even in Cuba. So I think that's going to take a little time. Monte Harrison is the other one, just like just like Isan. Do we see him by September this year? I think it's a, lo- a lot's going to depend on whether the adjustments he made in the Arizona Fall League really pan out. You know, also if he can get his power stroke back because – he started making more contact. He started hitting a little more in the fall league, but his power numbers went pretty much disappeared. And that changes things because they brought this guy in, not just to be, you know, not, not he's a five tool potential talent. Or at least that was the appeal of him when they traded for him. He, they didn't want, they didn't want a singles hitter when they got this guy. They got him. They wanted a guy that had some pop in addition to his tools defensively and his speed. So, if the adjustments he made allow for that power to come back and to develop, that that whatever time t- whatever time frame it takes for him to get to that point again, will dictate how soon they bring him up. So to me, those are two for sure. All right, last one here for Andre Fernandez. You can catch him his work uh, at the Athletic Miami. Make sure to pay for that subscription. There are a lot of subscriptions out there. This one is actually worth it because not only do you get the six local guys here, but you additionally get uh, the rest of their network as well, which means if you like baseball, you get Kenny Rosenthal uh, and Jason Stark and and a whole bunch of others. But certainly we we encourage you to follow Andre's work. Uh, So I guess as you're giving me the total picture here, I mean, you know, we're looking at like 58 and I don't know, (laughs) 104 off the top of my head. I mean, that's 63 last year. It was 63 last year. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is, I mean, is, is Ramuto worth five wins? Probably, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably. wasn't that? That was it. That was that was his WAR pretty much on the nose, wasn't it? Like four or five wins, something like that. Right, and you're going to trade Castro at some point, and and not that you've gotten a lot of use out of him lately, but you're probably going to trade Prado, and so, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you're you're looking at sort of high fifties, low sixties. I, I guess again, it's not really about this year. To me, it's about whether or not you're bringing in the right prospects to build with. And and I guess uh, if you could summarize what the Jeter Hill philosophy is as far as the type of player they're trying to bring in, because is this a big analytics organization? Is this what is this going to look like? Because, I, you know, with certain other organizations, like, you know what a Theo Epstein organization is like at this point. Like, right. What 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 is this like? I, I mean, is, yeah. Jeter, is Jeter just what guys who are gonna, you know, jump into the stands and and you know and flip the ball to home plate? I mean, what what is what is he looking for? Because I I don't in baseball to me it's a little harder to kind of figure that out sometimes than you know I mean Chris and I do more NBA than we do anything else and in the NBA right. like I know what a Pat Riley player looks like kind of I, I sort of know. Uh, you know what a Greg Popovich player looks like. I I don't know what a Derek Jeter player looks like. Describe him if you can. Well, that that's the that's the interesting part is that they they have a formula of the type of guy they've been looking for, and and I guess the best way to put it, they want the guys those toolsy players that are that are athletic, that not just can hit but can run, you know, can field well. I mean, the the athleticism is something that they're looking at. You asked about analytics, and I think. I think they're a, they're a, they're a team that's trying to be even more analytical than they have been in the past because I think that a lot of the guys they've brought in specialize in that. And I think for a long time this team maybe wasn't so much 
headed that route. Now they have embraced that fully. Are they completely there where they have where where they can really put that stamp on the team? Maybe they're still working their way toward it, but they've made strides in that sense. But they're identifying guys, you know, that that like I said before, athletes. They're you know different tool players that can hit well, run well, field well, that sort of thing. The part that see the the trend I'm seeing that maybe could be a little bit alarming is they're not really getting a lot of power hitters that you can well at least not that you can obviously identify as power hitters. There's a lot of guys that could develop power as as, as they move forward, but they're not getting the guy that screams 40 home run hitter. Like there's no Stanton, there's no you know there, there's no power guy like that. At least not not there yet so that's the interesting part as they keep identifying these guys yeah it's great to have the most athletic team out there and they're going to make in, in theory you're going to have guys that like you said like they can they can climb the wall they can make diving catches etc but you got to produce runs and you got to have extra base hits you, you can't just be you know the the the, the, the small ball team either so that's going to be interesting to see how many of these guys develop into a little more of that or how many guys they continue to acquire that can bring that element that's you know that's pretty much on this team now i mean it, you can't really point to anybody and really confidently without it 100% say that they're that. So, you know, that's something necessary that, that it, it, you know, that to me, that's the closest thing I can say that to the identity of what I've seen so far, the type of player that they've been scouting and they've been, you know, trying to sign and draft. Follow his work uh, for sure. Check him out on the athletic Miami. We highly recommend the subscription. We'll be back with more episodes later this week. We probably are going to do a little canes this week on the podcast and obviously transition into uh, Wade weekend here as we go later in the week. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much.